welcome everyone. Looks like we have a pretty good crowd here today. Welcome to our Cybersecurity Summit webinar series, How to Navigate into a Cyber Career. I will introduce our panelists in a moment, um, but first, again, thank you for joining us today. And my name is Tina Meeker. I am the Senior Director of Information Security at Sleep Number, headquartered here in Minneapolis. I'm also the Vice President of the Minnesota Chapter of WESIS, which is Women in Cybersecurity, and have held that role for three years. And I'm really excited to be hosting and moderating this session today. So this is a panel session. If you've attended a panel session before, it's usually a group of people talking back, back and forth, and you have the opportunity to, um, to listen to the conversations. Uh, there will be at the end of the webinar, the last 10 to 15 minutes, there will be a Q&A. And so what we encourage you to do is listen to and digest the conversation. And if you have any questions, just type them into the chat. And during the last 10 to 15 minutes, we will address those questions as time allows. So again, the panel will continue without pausing for questions, but please enter your questions into the chat and we will address them as best as we can towards the end of the session. So I am going to introduce our esteemed panelists that we have with us today. First, Mary France is the CEO of Enterprise Knowledge Partner. She has performed and led advanced ethical hacking, that's red teams, security assessments, managed multiple instant incident investigations for many companies. She was the primary technical cyber expert in the Equifax, Yahoo, and many other high-profile breaches and security incidents, some of which that you've probably heard of in the media. Mary holds four bachelor's degrees and two master's degrees in various active and non-active certifications in systems auditing, ethical hacking, penetration testing, forensics, engineering, and architecture. She is a national advocate and mentor of women and minorities in STEM, a board officer for the Minnesota Academy of Science, board advisor for the Minneapolis Cybersecurity Summit, and an elected school board director at a city in the state of Minnesota. Thank you, Mary. Next, we have Mike Kern. Mike Kern is a Business Information Security Officer, or BISO, within U.S. Bank's Information Security Services. Within his role, he regularly consults with senior technology and operational risk management executives as the information security subject matter expert. Through this collaborative partnership, he drives the integration of sound security practices into the strategic roadmaps for his clients. Mr. Kern brings more than 23 years of varied experience in information technology and security in his current role. Thank you, Mike, for being here today. Last but not least, we have Amy Martin, who leads the Information Security Governance, Risk and Compliance, GRC, and Project Management Office functions at Vista Outdoor. Amy has over 15 years of experience in security and compliance, spanning multiple different industries and functions, including internal and external IT audit, compliance, risk management, DR planning, and project management. In her current role at Vista Outdoor, Amy is responsible for driving information security program maturity, 
various compliance programs, and leading IT mergers and acquisitions activities. Amy holds the following certifications, CISA, C-RISC, and PMP. Please join me in welcoming Mike, Amy, and Mary to the panel today. So are you guys ready to get started? Absolutely. All right, let's dive in. So I am guessing many of uh, the participants in today's call are either early in their career, perhaps they are students, or in some cases, which I think is awesome, people are making a mid-career transition. So, and I'm just going to throw this out there, just go ahead and dive in. As you were starting your career in cybersecurity, and I think, you know, many of us started, you know, several years ago when cybersecurity didn't really exist. So it's a little bit of a different world today. But tell us about how you entered the cybersecurity field. Who'd like to go first? I'll go. Um, so thank you, Tina, um, for moderating this panel. And it's great to be with you guys. Um, so I started my career in, in audit at Deloitte and Touche, um, you know, and audit was kind of the up and coming thing at the time. And, you know, socks was becoming a real big, uh, big button item. And so I kind of found my way into security through various channels, including audit. Um, I took on a few additional roles kind of mid career in, you know, things like business continuity and disaster recovery. Um, project management, governance, risk, and compliance, which kind of led led to the track of you know taking on the security team and working my way through kind of the the security channels and the different areas of security. Great, Mike. What about you? So I took the extremely long road home. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you how old I am, but with 23 years of experience, you could probably kind of throw a dart at the board and guess. Um, I actually got my first computer when I was six. It was an Apple IIe. It had a 300, 1200 baud modem. And that was really my first you know, start with you know, playing with a computer, finding out what it could do. Uh, you fast forward a lot of years, I got out of college and I, I got a job uh, actually at US Bank, uh, working as the lead IT consultant. Uh, within their institutional trust area. And right before that, I was clearing trades and doing things, but they quickly realized, well, uh, Mike knows how to code. Uh, Mike can do all sorts of things. We, we should have Mike do that. Um, and then uh, while I was there, I, I attended this conference in Minneapolis and it was, I mean, it's not around anymore. So I'll just be honest. It was, it was very lackluster. <laughs> it was, it was in, in the convention center. It felt like you're walking into this giant, you know, echo chamber, you know, but they, they had, they had some nice keynotes. Uh, and the opening keynote uh, was a guy who worked for NSA or formerly worked for NSA. And he was talking about how, you know, he basically got paid to go break into things. And, you know, I came up, during the era of you know Kevin Mitnick being sent to prison, right? That's yeah. that's when I was, you know, kind of testing my skill set. And so here I am listening to this guy talk about, you know, actually being compensated professionally to to test the security of systems, not having to worry about prison. I thought, well, gosh, maybe maybe that's for me. Maybe I can do this and and, and not have to worry about breaking the law. Um, and so you fast forward a few more years after a brief stint in IT audit. Uh, so I left app, I left my app dev role. I went into IT audit for a year and a half, and then I was hired to lead security uh, for an organization within a large bank. 
And that was my first bona fide professional role other than really IT audit, which was kind of a kind of a homogeny of a assessment and consult and, and things like that. It was uh, shortly after the, the Sox days, if you will. Uh, and that was really my first foray. And, and that person was the one who showed me that I, I could do this professionally. And that was Ira Winkler. And he remains a close friend of oh, mine yeah. for today. So, yeah. Very cool. Thanks, Mike. Mary. Oh, I think you're muted or your audio is not working. Okay, can you hear me now? We gotcha. Good. I got started in cyber before cyber was even cyber. Um, the internet was only for professionals, and I, I was lucky enough to land a job as a low-end person at a Department of Defense contractor. Um, and of course, during the you know the process of developing and shipping and various wars overseas. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on. And what I did is I just got curious. I started asking, hey, what are you doing? Can I, can I try? And some of it was even after hours, uh, unpaid necessarily, even though we were salaried. Um, and I just moved up from there. Um, and I started off obviously in the IT track. Uh, but you know what? No matter what happens, no matter how many degrees you have or certifications, Really what it's telling you is that you have a foundation and you have to show how you can use that foundation to then uh, use your critical thinking skills and apply that foundation to a lot of new things and new things are happening all the time. Uh, and I grew up in this space just asking a lot of questions, volunteering for things that I didn't know how to do, uh, but I figured if I volunteered for it, I was gonna learn both the easy way and the hard way. Uh, and I progressed through my career by raising my hand and saying, I'll give that a shot, um, trying new things. Uh, and I had a few very lucky breaks. Uh, it was being in the right place at the right time, uh, pushing me forward uh, to be at companies like Novell and Google uh, earlier in their uh, business operations, and then uh, constantly, constantly um, just staying curious. And uh, the more curious I got, the more I learned and started being asked to be experts in some of the world's largest, largest data breaches from, you know, Facebook to Marriott to Equifax to the um, power grid um, hacks in Ukraine uh, early on. So um, that's how my career progressed. And I kind of made my own path. That's awesome. Well, I'll briefly um, share my story. So. In the early 2000s, I was a technical writer. And um, if you're familiar with what a technical writer does, you basically write instructional documents, use cases. Um, you know, in college and high school, I was always good at writing and communication. So I landed in technical writing and I always liked computers. And at the time, um, similar to Mary's story, cybersecurity didn't really exist. It wasn't a thing. And Wells Fargo hired me as a contract, a contractor um, to help write security policies for their data centers. They hired a technical writer to do that because there was no such thing as a security practitioner at that time. So, you know, this is like 17 years ago. And just, just from there, um, this was around, you know, we kind of got to the 2005, 2006, 2007. The TJX breach happened in 2007. Retailers started to think about security. And then I landed at Target in 2008. 
and, you know, spent eight years there and, and, you know, a lot of things happened between then and now. So, um, yeah, so, so I entered the, and I entered cybersecurity by accident, but, um, I would not, if I could go back in time, I would, I would do it all over again. So, um, thank you everyone for sharing your, your entry, entry stories with us. Um, a couple of you mentioned certifications, education, you know, many, you know, it, it seems like all four of us, you know, when we entered cyber, cybersecurity didn't really exist. The industry was really shaping as we entered the industry. And, you know, there's a lot of certifications out there, whether it's CISA, CISSP, um, you know, and now we have cybersecurity degrees in college that did not exist 15, 20 years ago. What is your thought and position, because I meet a lot a lot of people who are new to the industry, whether they're students or mid-career um, transitioners, and they want to like get a CISSP, they want to get a bunch of certifications and their ethical hacking certification. Um, what is your position on uh, certifications? How important are they? Do you need to get them right away? Could any of you chime in on, on that? Because I'm sure a lot of people on this call are really interested in what certifications are and how much value they have in the, in the organization or in the industry. Yeah, I can feel that, Tina, um, and yield to others as well. But I mean, I spent over 10 years teaching at the graduate level in academia, uh, cybersecurity courses, mm -hmm. uh, three different accredited uni universities. I did that part-time, uh, retired from that a couple of years ago. Um, I have a couple of certifications. I got my CISSP in 2005. And uh, my number is, is only five digits. So that kind of gives you an idea how early I was on that one. Um, but these days, I, th I think with remote work becoming more common, global work becoming more common, you don't have these hardened barriers between uh, time zones and et cetera anymore. It's more about you know risk management of where we can have work done and where we shouldn't have work done. I think it really comes down to the knowledge that you're trying to acquire, what you're trying to learn, right? And everybody learns differently. So some people are visual learners. Some people learn by by doing. Some people learn by reading and rereading. Um, some people are, are a hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it comes down to the person and what they're trying to learn and the skill they're trying to acquire. Uh, you could have one person who can easily sit down and watch some some videos on YouTube, maybe, you know, Sans's channel or maybe DEFCON's channel, um, Black Hills Security. I mean, there's so many great learning resources uh, freely available on YouTube. Um, I, I wish I had that when I was a lot younger, um, yeah. you know, but for some, they might needed that. They might need that guidance. They might need that person to be able to ask questions of to, to, to ask, to understand as it were. And so a classroom setting might suit them better. Some people might thrive in more of a, a hyper-intensive environment. And, you know, studying for a lot of the event certs, that's exactly what it is. You know, you know the content, but you're trying to, uh, in many cases, refresh and cram that content before you sit for the exam and then recall that accurately so you pass the exam. And for some people, you know, that's a skill they have that works for them. So I, I would encourage each person to kind of evaluate their own learning style, what works for them, what doesn't, and then seek to acquire those skills uh, in a manner which plays to their strengths and their own learning styles. Um, I don't really feel that having a certain set of letters behind your name um, really 
differentiates anyone anymore. I know plenty of offensive uh, security pros that don't have any certs, and they're some of the very best I've ever met in my entire life, right? And I know people that have a whole ton of certs, and they're very competent and qualified for what they do. But it doesn't necessarily mean that one is, is more qualified than the other, right? Both can put it into practice, and that's really what matters. So as hiring leaders, um, how do you weigh certifications when you're hiring team members on your team? Um, and let me take that one. Um, so first of all, like Mike, I taught at the university level. I also am a certified instructor for uh, CompTIA through Pentest and um, certified ethical hacker through Advanced. And I, I look at certifications and I look at that as a baseline. Um, it is not a determinant of hiring because I found that non-technical people, particularly in certain areas of cyber, are, it, it, are equally as competent and can learn just as fast. Um, so I, I'm not trying to dissuade people from getting certifications or from at least taking the classes, but I hear a lot of people go out there and want to get a cert because then they want to get a job. The two are not equated. It's like getting a high school degree basically knowing you know the basics of just you know math english whatever and right. then going off and trying to get an accounting job you're still going to need to get experience you're still going to need to apprentice and you're still going to need you know to keep up with all the latest laws and regulations and things like that the what the certifications and what the online courses do is give you a baseline and if i asked if i told anyone to take any one thing out of them it's about procedure and process it's not about a tool it's not about a method because you can be the best scripter and hacker, but if you don't have a repeatable process, if you can't prove your work, if you don't show how you understand those systems or what you looked into, and by the way, everything's a little different. There's no, there's no one size fits all of how people think, how people do this. But if you have um, that process and procedure that's repeatable, then it can be applied. Uh, it's not about learning a tool either because tools change constantly. And if right. everyone could just use a tool to figure something out, then our, our lives would be much easier. But it's not the case. It's really the critical thinking, the curiosity level, and the attitude that goes into this. And that's what I look for in hiring more than a certification. And even if you don't have job experience necessarily directly in IT or cyber, if you have those capabilities and that can show off in an interview, then for me, you're more likely to get hired. Yeah, Thanks, I'll just, Mary. I'll just add a few things to kind of what, what the other two said. Um, you know, I've had some of the best hires um, coming out of areas that aren't security. You know, I've, there's, there's a strong correlation between some of the other functions within, you know, infrastructure is a great example. I've got a couple of great hires that came from the network side of things. Um, a couple of folks that came from the server and, you know, identity management side of things that came into security um, and, and kind of blended well with the rest of the, you know, experience levels and, and experiences and, and kind of added cyber onto the top of what they already knew. Um, you know, so I would, I would agree with both of them that, you know, certifications, while they do have, you know, some merit for some, you know, companies and some individuals, 
Um, you know, I think more holistically, it's about, you know, what you want to learn and, and whether that's a certification or, you know, like Mike mentioned, you know, listening to podcasts and, and things that are relevant in the security space and getting your education from that form, um, you know, and kind of to what Mary said, I agree that, you know, being able to kind of showcase, you know, your, your ways of solving problems and your ways of, you know, thinking through things is more important than really understanding um, how to answer a question on an exam or um, how to operate a, a specific tool that one company may have and the remaining 49 that you're looking at may not have. Um, so, you know, and one, one of the common certifications I see for entry-level candidates within the cyberspace is the Security Plus certification. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the CISSP is probably the, the generic gold standard for security, um, you know, but I think the Security Plus one is, is probably what I would recommend if you're looking at kind of a generalist security certification. I agree with that. I think Security Plus is, that's what I recommend to people who are just entering the industry and want to get a very um, broad overview of the body of knowledge. Yeah, I'd like to throw something else in there because Tina, you mentioned how you got into this space and being a basically a technical writer. Yeah. The ability to communicate in security is huge. The ability to write is huge. You can teach somebody a technical skill, but you can't teach them how to learn it. You can't teach them how to communicate the results, especially in a way that resonates with a lot of people. So for those of you who also um, are writing or reading or want to start the path that let's say Tina did, that's also an excellent way of getting into it because you have to communicate your findings in order to make them real. You have to communicate the standards in order to have them absorbed and followed. Um, there's no one size fits all, but the, the alternative paths of getting into this space are very well regarded, particularly by me uh, in, in the areas that, that, that I work in and have proven very, very fruitful for people's future career. Tina, there Thanks. is one caveat, though, to the hiring process I'd, I'd like to raise, just so sure. everybody's clear. You know, a lot of recruitment is done, you know, automatically, right, through algorithm and other things. Yeah. And often, you know, a role is posted and certifications are, are listed, qualifications are listed, and, and that's what those algorithms are specifically looking for. And I've heard from a number of folks um, that I communicate with that, oh, well, I applied for this role at this place, but, you know, they didn't, they didn't even reply to me. They didn't even look at me. And, you know, I, I, when I was recruiting people for my teams, was quite deliberate with my recruiter in how we were going to position the role and, and how I wanted candidates screened. Uh, because just because somebody doesn't have a CISSP doesn't mean I don't want to, don't want to have a conversation with them. Um, if they do have a certification, they should count on that when we do have the conversation, much as, you know, the others have kind of noted, the questions I'm going to be asking are more around comprehension and application and not specifically, you know, something that you tested for. That's how I'm going to determine how well you know that subject matter and, and whether you can apply it or not. 
So, you know, just for our attendees today, I mean, that is something that, that occasionally, uh, you know, applicants run into. Um, the process will, you know, disqualify or quote unquote, weed them out because yeah. they don't have a particular cert listed. Um, but I would encourage, you know, hiring managers and, and others through the recruitment process to be quite deliberate in working with their recruiter on, on the type of skill, the type of resource they want to, you know, add to their team. That's a great point, Mike, because when I'm hiring, um, I do the same thing with my recruiters and I ensure that any sort of certifications I'm listing under desired, you know, requirements versus requirements, requirements, because the algorithms are going to rule out some really strong candidates. As a candidate, and this is a little bit, you, you kind of have to be scrappy, but if you're a candidate and you really want to talk to Mike Kern or Mary Franz or Amy Martin and they're hiring, I say do whatever you can do to try to get around that recruiter. <laughs> so if that means going to a conference, you know, Mike's speaking at a conference, Amy's speaking at a conference, and, and if it's in your town, try to get there and try to connect with those hiring managers without the recruiter. That is the best way to get in front of them and to um, really plant the seed in yourself and your interest. And, you know, it can help kind of get rid of that recruiter filter. So I know there's a lot of recruiters in this world. We may have recruiters on this call today. Thank you for, for being here. But um, I have really struggled not only as a candidate, but as a hiring manager with these recruiters that have these binary checklists. So it's really important for recruiters. And if you are a recruiter, um, please take that to heart. Um, that to know that, uh, you know, these certifications are great, but it's, you know, we really look at the whole candidate. So. Any other thoughts on certifications, recruiting, hiring, before we move on to the next topic? No, I'd like to emphasize, Tina, what you just said, that um, I, I stopped using recruiters except for generic positions, uh, like back office positions, because of the algorithms when they put a job out there. Even if yeah. it's a job on LinkedIn or whatever, I mean, there's an algorithm that filters out for keywords and and people have learned of all different levels just to just to speckle in those keywords uh, in different areas. Um, and then you end up wasting a lot of time interviewing. Um, so for those of you out there looking for a job, network, network, network yes. manually. Um, there may be a thousand jobs put into LinkedIn. You may be or into an online job app, Indeed, or whatever. And uh, once you find out the company, do what you can to learn about the company and network with people in there, because I'm much more likely to look at a resume that's sent to me by a trusted colleague or directly to me than something that's filtered through a recruiter. And again, I apologize to those recruiters that are out there, but um, there's a, like I said, there's an attitude and an aptitude that once you get to our level, we're looking for kind of in between the words of that resume. Um, so don't try to write a fluffy resume. Be real. Uh, say what you really need. Say what you really mean. Because if you're not happy uh, in your job, you're not going to do a good job either. So the, the hiring process is a two-way street. You have to be happy and the hiring manager has to be happy. The other thing is, is don't go out there and look for jobs that are too much of a stretch, particularly when you're just getting started. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first of all, you're going to fail when you get in there. 
Uh, and then second of all, um, we have a greater uh, chance of failure, let me put it that way. And second of all, um, you're, you know, cybersecurity is a practice. It is not a one and done. Everything you do is going to feed the sponge in your brain and your experience. That's going to give you foundational knowledge to move on with your career uh, and grow your career. And every day something new happens in our field. It's about your ability to work through change and learn new things, uh, again, more than it is a static point in time of your knowledge or what you learned in class or whatever it is that you may have done. That's a great point, Mary. And that leads me to the next, I'll say, segment, right? And I think we all, in our experience, and we've, you know, through whether it's our experience or we've observed this in others, we've seen people make mistakes, missteps, you know, as they're starting in their career. Um, you know, since we're on the topic, I'll go ahead and start. So one of the things that I see newer people to the industry, and I'm whether it's a student or someone who's mid-career making a career change, is to your point, Mary, they have a very specific idea of what they want to do. So they're almost too picky and they want to, frankly, typecast themselves. So I talked to an individual at the Cybersecurity Summit here in October, very impressive, bright individual. And this individual was gung-ho. They wanted to be a pen tester. That's what they wanted to do. Nothing else. They just want to be a pen tester. And I asked them if they'd be open to, hey, would you be open to exploring other areas like security operations or, you know, even GRC, right? And so, and some of these students are very adamant, here's what I want to do. Here's what I don't want to do. And to Mary's earlier point, especially when you're early, when you're trying to break into the industry, just Take, take a job at some really awesome company. If you work for an awesome company and have an awesome leader, but you're not doing maybe exactly what you really want to do, you're going to get there. So um, if you have an opportunity, you know, don't necessarily, we talked about recruiters ruling people out. Don't rule yourself out because the job isn't 100% what you were, were, you know, were thinking about, um, you know, doing as uh, for, for your first cyber job. So that's my response to that as far as mistakes and missteps I see people do um, that are just entering entering the field. Any other thoughts on that front? Well, so first, Tina, as an offensive professional, I would love to know how their first role is going to be pen testing. <laughs> right? Where, where do they have the skill set for that? I mean, maybe they do. Right. Uh, there are plenty that do, but I mean, it it's not as common, really. Right? I mean, I think Mary mentioned earlier... Um, you have to have a repeatable, provable process. Pen testing, I, I think a lot of people think it's it's like red teaming, and it's it's not. Um, my least favorite part about pen testing was, so yeah, I got to where I needed to go. Now I get to spend three times the amount of time writing the report on how I got to where I ended up and taking screenshots and ensuring I can replicate that and testing that again, right? Um, but as far as, you know, first roles... <laughs> I, I think, and Mary kind of touched on this a little bit in, in the prior response, you have to have an interest because the, the last thing you right. really want is if you're excited and motivated to enter this profession, to end up with your first role just being something, I'm going to just take this and, and see where it leads me. If you're not passionate about it, your performance is probably going to suffer, you know, 
um, to some degree, uh, you might become uh, disenchanted. You might determine, oh, you know, this is just not for me. Um, so I would encourage those, you know, seeking their first role, you know, seek an area that that interests you, that you're at least a little bit enticed by. And, and Tina, you mentioned security operations, right? I think that's that's a great mm -hmm. place to start. Yeah. Understand, you know, defense. Um, I myself never was on defense. I was always offense. Um, I came up through it a little bit different time. If I had to do it all over again, I mean, my brain doesn't necessarily work that way, but I think it would be good experience for me, be good exposure for me to understand, you know, what a SOC analyst at the various levels does each day, what the IR people have to go through each day. I mean, I know now because I've seen the other side of it through other roles, but to have that experience, you know, when I was more junior in my career, I think would have been beneficial and just wasn't an opportunity that was ever presented to me. And so, you know, I also didn't seek it out, but I, I would, I would encourage, you know, applicants seeking to enter the profession, you know, think about what you're interested in, not so much the title on the door, as it were, and, and pursue that, ask questions, find those who do that. Um, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, there's other online communities, um, watch mm -hmm. some YouTube videos about, you know, that particular area. So you get maybe some different perspectives about people who, you know, perform that type of work. Um, all of that will help you make up your own mind and, and how you want to proceed. And don't let your second step be determined by your first step is the other thing that I recommend. So if you start out in operations and you think, gosh, you know, I've learned a lot and it's been valuable, but I really want to go in this direction, you know, whatever that may be, then, then do that for yourself. Don't feel that you're going to be in security operations or offensive work in one way, shape or another, your entire career. Um, it usually doesn't work that way. So. Yeah. I Thanks, Mike. I, I was going to say, you know, Tina, you kind of nailed uh, what I was going to say on the head um, as far as kind of getting broad exposure. Um, you know, I think that kind of, even though you may have an idea of where you want to end up, um, you may find out by means of, you know, taking a couple different roles or a couple different opportunities that you may want to go a different direction. Um, mm -hmm. the only other thing I would, I would add is, you know, be that person that volunteers to take on additional, you know, projects, additional tasks, um, and, and that will help shape and drive your career, you know, because, and I have done this many a times I've gone like this throughout my career, um, in areas of focus. Um, and I think all of those have kind of been from me raising my hand saying, hey, I want to get involved in M&A activities or, Hey, I want to get involved in the PMO. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of, a lot of hiring managers, including myself really look for those people that are willing and wanting to take on opportunities to kind of stretch themselves. Um, and that really showcases kind of the fact that you have ambition to, you know, to learn more about different areas. You know, and Great one advice. of the things that is unique about security is that it's not it's not a standalone thing. Um, if you're going to secure an app, you should understand how the app is going to work, how people are going to interface with the app. Yep. You should learn from the IT people. Um, I harden, uh, you know, our team, not me personally anymore, but we are hired to harden medical devices and IoT devices having to do with healthcare. And you have to understand how that particular product is supposed to work. 
what would be the incentives for somebody and how would they use that product in order to uh, create fraudulent um, interactions, uh, steal, you know, protected health information, things like that. So it's, it's a piece of a large, everywhere you go, it's going to be a piece of a larger puzzle. And if you do security operations, you have to understand and look for stuff that have to do with the normal course of business, what would be an anomaly or a difference in the way systems and people behave on the systems in order to actually understand if the if your your organization or the area that you're covering could potentially be victimized um, by a certain you know threat actor, whether inside or outside. So it's not it's not a point in time. You don't just go into security. Uh, you go into organizations that are trying to apply security. You go into systems that are trying yeah. to make themselves more secure. So, um, and if you keep that in mind, you can really start with anywhere and incorporate security into that process and, and learn just as much. So there's no one entry point. Um, there's no one, um, you know, uh, you can't just like, go into pen testing and think that my life is going to be a pen tester, as, as Mike said, because we know that from working in the industry, there's, this isn't mutually exclusive. You know, right. you, you can't effectively even pen test something unless you don't understand how the system works. So it's a constant, constant security. Um, I mean, constant uh, practice of understanding how security is applied into various circumstances. And that's actually what makes this career so robust and, and and never ending as far as the learning opportunities go. And it spans all industries. So I can share from my experience, um, and those of you on the call, those of you who are interested in exposing yourself broadly in a fairly short amount of time, and I'm talking, you know, several years, there are two things you can do because I did these two things. A, get a job at a really big company. If you get a job at a really big company, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to move around within the information security realm. There's going to be reorgs every now and then, not every now and then. So sometimes you don't have a choice and you just have a new, new role that actually you can actually gain a lot from that. So I'd say number one, get a job at a really big company if you want to expose yourself to um you know, the various areas within the information security spectrum. The second thing you can do, and this will also raise your stock quickly, um, but you need to be a little bit, take on some personal risk, is be a contractor. So if you are a contractor, you're going to do a lot of things in a very short amount of time. You're going to be thrown into situations where you need to deliver, right? Contractors are cut if they're not delivering, so it's, it's kind of a risky lifestyle. I actually kind of miss it. It's fun. But you will learn so much so quickly, pressure's on, and from an experience standpoint, your, your stock will go up very rapidly. So, and again, I can just share those two things um, from my experience. If you do want to expose yourself to various things in a sh fairly short amount of time. I don't know if any of you have anything to add to that before we move to the next question. Um, I don't think big or small company is really uh, as important being a contractor or full-timer. There's a lot of large and small companies that have just very poor cultures, and you have to um, distinguish yourself 
Yes. Uh, and not kind of fall into, I, you know, my, the, the best mentor or the first and best mentor that I ever had was this guy named Jerry. And I was working for a large company and he basically said, you know, you have two choices. You can fit in regardless of what's happening, or you can be your independent self and ask questions and don't be shoved down by corporate culture who pigeonholes you into a certain area or whatever. Um, and then when you decide that you are going to respond with integrity, regardless of corporate culture, when you are going to act independently and be responsible and accountable for the quality of your own work and make sure that it, that it has integrity, um, then the sky's the limit. Um, and, you know, and at that time, I was one of seven women engineers in a company w with thousands of employees. Um, and, he, and he basically said, do not try to fit in. And that is a problem because when you see people go through the ranks of large companies, they learn how to survive in that culture, but not necessarily sometimes the job. So it does depend on the company, but quite frankly, start anywhere. The, the, the common denominator between all this is staying curious. Mm -hmm. It's yes. staying motivated. It's keeping your attitude good. I know people that, um, that have worked for Google, and I know people who have worked for startups. And as long as you maintain your own personal curiosity and the integrity in your work, and you don't give up, and you understand how all the pieces fit together, you're going to succeed. It may not be right away, and it may not be the path that's written up as a 40 under 40 or, you know, rising star or whatever, but over time, that sponge in your brain just absorbs more and more, and you observe, and you get better and better to the point where you are choosing who, what, where, and how you do your job regardless of the organization, regardless of the, of the geographic location. And that's where you want to eventually get up, but it will never happen right when you graduate or right when you get out of that search or right when you decide to get started, you have to experience multiple things. Um, and you have to be, you know, willing to have those experiences because as you mature in your, um, in your chosen um, profession, regardless of how it's applied in a career, uh, it's like building blocks through time. And mm -hmm. for those of you who are coming back into the industry and deciding to change career tracks and go into cyber, your previous experience in business, construction, retail, customer service or whatever will really help you. Do not discount that. There's, there's so much value to be placed on that uh, experience in the working world, no matter what you choose or no matter how you redirect your career aspirations. Thank you, Mary. So I'm just going to do a quick time check here. We are at uh, 15 minutes to the top of the hour. The last 10 minutes, we are going to field your questions. I see we have a couple of questions in the chat. Um, so we'll get to those here momentarily. So we're going to, we're going to bring it home. Um, for the next few minutes, and then we're going to address your question. So if you do have a question, please pop it into the chat. I know it was not working originally, but I think we're up, we're, we're doing good now, right, Heidi? So um, throw it in the chat. So the last question, or this is more of a thing, right? 
So I think, you know, we talked about a lot of great things today. Um, hopefully our audience today has, has something they can really take with them. If the audience takes one thing away from this call, this webinar, what would, what would that be that you would like to advise? Mike? Well, I, I think a common theme is keep an open mind and mm -hmm. be open to opportunity, right? Um, I've done that in my career. It's, it served me well. Um, yeah. I met with uh, somebody a couple of weeks ago. They said, I'm kind of surprised that you actually agreed to meet with me. I said, well, why? I said, well, I mean, <laughs> I wanted to meet you, but um, why did you want to meet with me? I said, well, because you don't know if there's an opportunity now or in the future until you actually have a chat with somebody. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm always open, you know, if it makes sense to, to have a conversation with somebody and maybe in the future, it makes more sense than it does today. So you gotta, you gotta remain open. Um, second, you have to remain curious. Um, you know, I, I always told my students that if you don't see yourself as a lifelong learner, you should choose another career path. This one is not for you. Mm -hmm. um, it changes too fast. The volume of information continues to grow. You have to be curious and you have to want uh, to, to indulge in that. And if not, you're going to find that it's, it's far more of a chore and you'll probably be far happier and uh, live a far more fulfilling professional life doing something else that's maybe a little bit more aligned to your interests. Um, and then third, um, you know, be passionate, whatever it is. You know, I'm not a governance, risk, and compliance professional, a GRC professional. I never will be. It's not in my wheelhouse. It's not my skill set. It's not the way that I think. But there are a lot of people who are. And, you know, just as, you know, I focus on offense or design or, or you know, helping people understand, you know, the problem set, I need those partners. I need audit partners. I need ops partners because we can't all just do it within one role. And so, you know, if that is your interest, don't let anybody dissuade you from it. You know, pursue that, um, figure it out, um, get some exposure, learn more about it, uh, find somebody to talk to. So those would be the three things I, I recommend people leave with, you know. Thanks, Mike. Amy. All right. So he went with three. I'll go with two. Um, <laughs> one is, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit, is my recommendation is to start broad, um, you know, to to think you're going to go into a very narrow part of cybersecurity, um, you know, you may find that you have a different interest once you get into it. So, you know, security operations um, is a great place to start. GRC or audit is a great place to start. Um, but don't don't get so pigeonholed on here's the exact piece of information security I want to focus on um, right away in your career. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, and we kind of hit on this a little bit, but if, and Mike had mentioned, you know, find a mentor, find somebody who is in the cyber world that you can really talk with, you know, somebody who's got the, the experience in a, in a corporation or, you know, somebody who's got their foot in a door somewhere um, and start that kind of networking journey. You know, obviously when, when you get a little bit more into your career, you know, your network becomes even that much more important, but I think it's important to you know, start those, whether it's, you know, find a mentor in cybersecurity or find a couple of people that have, you know, graduated with a cyber degree and got their first jobs and, you know, talk with them about their experience. Mary. Thank you, Amy. 
Um, well, basically follow your passion, stay curious. The world is constantly changing and you need to be happy with what you're doing. Um, but you also need to never kind of be fully satisfied uh, to keep those fires burning because that's what this career requires. And, you know, and we're going into a world where everything is technical. Um, so it's not like it's limited to just this career in cyber and reality. Um, you're going to constantly be learning new things. Uh, you're going to constantly be uh, challenged to change or to think differently. So keep an open mind, stay curious, and, and keep with a high integrity basis within your work product always. Great advice from our panelists. Let's move to Q&A. So let me see what we got here. Um, here's a question. It was mentioned that it's now possible to work remotely anywhere in the world. True, in most cases. Where would one look for those international jobs? I am in Canada, welcome Canada, and would love to get jobs in the US without moving. Oh. I have experienced hiring across borders. Um, so that that's a bit of an interesting question. Um, remote work, yeah, very popular. It's going to become more common. I would venture to guess within the next decade, it's going to be the way um, for IT and InfoSec type roles. It just makes sense. There's a huge advantage to hiring organizations um, to be able to offer that. As far as, you know, uh, citizenship and residency, though, there are factors that play into that. So, for example, if you're hiring for, you know, a cyber threat intelligence role and you have access to certain types of data, uh, your analysts probably need to be a citizen of a five eyes country, depending on where that data is coming from. Otherwise, that's going to be a barrier for you. Um, I, I would also say that often when organizations are hiring outside of their domestic footprint, wherever they're based, there's usually a, a business use case, a business reason for that. It could be a time differential. So if you're a United States-based company and you want to have some team members supporting a function that will be able to start the day earlier, right? Well, hiring over in the UK would be an option. Now, that's six hours ahead of Central Standard Time um, or daylight time now uh, in the United States. Or if you need somebody later in the day, you know, Hawaii is four hours uh uh, later, I'm sorry, earlier than, than central time. So, you know, we're finishing our day, they would be rolling on. So usually there's a business reason, a business case, at least in my experience, a lot of companies are looking to hire a specific geographic region. Um, and, um, you know, there, there's also, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, so I won't comment any further on this, but I do know there are also employment law considerations, depending on where you're hiring, um, depending on the role. So, it may not be as simple as I live in this country and I want to be employed in this country. Um, you might have to search for for roles that are based in your home country, but being offered by uh, a firm that's actually headquartered in, in a different country. I would agree with Mike. There's You just have to look at the rules of engagement with that particular organization. 
Um, and they're not even going to look at you if they don't want to hire someone outside the country anyways. Uh, but uh, with remote work, uh, you know, when you go up in the ranks and you're an executive, then there's travel considerations they need to build into the budget because they do want to meet in person. Uh, there's time zone considerations, and then there's background checks, securing the endpoint considerations, if they have that capability, if they need that capability, um, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I hire in Canada, UK, I work with companies all over the world. Um, you just need to understand, uh, you know, the rules of that particular organization that they have to live by. And then also um, be very clear on uh, the rules of communication engagement. So if you're going to be working, even if it's on the East Coast or West Coast, um, you're still going to have a time zone differential. And if you're not willing to be available during a time zone that company wants you to be in, which may be midnight for you in one place or really early in the morning or really late at night in another, then you have to consider that because again, you're working for that company. Um, that's, that's it's, and by the way, remote work is already occurring. Uh, and we've had some pains that have been learned the hard way during COVID uh, due to remote work that I think are now being normalized and being put back into policies and procedures to avoid some of those pitfalls. Thank you. Let's head to our next question here. So we have an individual who has uh, experience in international relations as a university professor, um, based currently based in DC. And this individual is looking to make a mid-career change into cyber. This individual does not have a direct experience with technology or cyber. Um, but they have very deep experience in Russia and China's foreign policies, Central Asia, their, and their languages. So this individual is looking, how can I use my language skills or teaching researching skills in this industry um, to, to get into the industry? I mean, I have three I, words I, for that person. Yeah. Cyber threat intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> Cyber threat intelligence. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so I mean, especially if yep. they can read, write Mandarin and they're fluent. Um, or they're very familiar with the, the various uh, areas uh, within Russia and the localized yes. customs. Um, you know, that's a skill set that's that's required for doing that type of work. You look at the, the companies that specialize on that type of stuff, uh, Mandiant, for example, which was recently purchased by Google. Um, you have to be a native speaker to be able to infiltrate those forums. You have to understand the localization of custom food, um, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you have to be able to read, write on the fly. Um, it's not, it's not like you can uh, just kind of worm your way in. And yeah, I was, I was raised in Iowa and I don't speak a word of, of Russian at all, much less localized dialects, but, um, you know, would, would you add me to your ransomware crew? I mean, that's not how it works. So if this person really has deep experience in those areas, um, I think that'd be an opportunity. Also, there are various think tanks that focus on those kinds of things that are based out in DC. Uh, that might be another mm -hmm. uh, opportunity area for me. And I Great. do have a degree in international relations and I got my master's in international business, one of them. Um, and when I first interviewed, I had people saying to me, why? And let me tell you, it's huge. I mean, it opened doors for me like nobody's business. And I love that background and more and more organizations appreciate that background. I also had a degree in foreign language and literature. 
and got a uh, certification in translation of two languages and then started to learn a little bit of Russian, a little bit of Farsi and a little bit of Mandarin. And um, again, people said, why? And today it's indispensable. It's totally indispensable. And uh, to have had that experience and have the communication experience and understand the cultural differentials, um, you probably also have uh, just embedded writing, uh, understanding, and, um, and basically critical thinking from the perspective of the political stance in those countries uh, and those areas of the world. And that's right now part of the motivation that typical cyber people completely miss because um, we think in our own cultural world that we live in here and don't and and 90% of it is really understanding the attack vectors through basic motivation and cultural incentives um, and by the way when we get into and discover uh, telegram posts uh, between attack groups etc it's almost you know we don't see people speaking in English let's just face it um, so uh, we're constantly calling translators and people to understand the local slang and what the code words would mean for the organizations that we feel that they are targeting or have targeted in our selling. Um, so um, that's, it's huge. So, uh, you know, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, there's, if I can't use you, I know um, dozens of organizations that would love to have you. Thank you, Mary. Well, we have a lot more questions in the chat here. Speakers, if you're willing to kind of chime in there, there is an opportunity to answer if you're able to do that. Um, and I'm not sure if the, the chats will remain live after the call. But before we end, I want to send a quick reminder to save the date for the 13th Annual Cybersecurity Summit, which will take place October 24th through 26th, 2023 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, we just had the summit here about a month ago. It was phenomenal. Next year will be even more phenomenal, so please save the date. It's a wonderful opportunity to meet with security practitioners and leaders around the world, and we thank you all for joining us today for this webinar.